I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn in them to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, of course, last week I said we'd be back in Luke. We will be, trust me, we'll be there next week. But because this is Father's Day and we did a little something different on Mother's Day, I thought it'd be good to also do something a little different today. I've entitled our message this morning, The Illusion of Instant Spiritual Maturity. The Illusion of Instant Spiritual Maturity. I've entitled it that because I believe that each and every Christian struggles with that from time to time. As we in our Christian lives think about living out for Christ, what it means to be a Christian, oftentimes we we think of it in the sense that somehow spiritual maturity can be quick. And I believe that if we as Christians will habitually embrace how and what God's process is for spiritual maturity, then we will no longer try to convince ourselves that spiritual maturity can come to us instantaneously. We live in a world where having what we want in an instant is commonplace. In our modern society, we love to have our food fast. We can now get any amount of information in a moment's notice on our phones. Any and every one of you, even right now, probably sitting there, many of you have an electronic device in which you have brought up an entire Bible in 10 seconds. We love to get rid of pain in the fastest possible way. We want to get into physical shape instantly. We desire our work day and our work week to be over quick. We can bring that kind of thinking into our own process of spiritual maturity, and I believe that it too, we think often that it can be a quick fix, something that happens fast. And we know that while we have the technological ability to get dinner in 30 seconds or less, when it comes to maturing in our walk of faith, when it comes to actually living out the Christian life, when it comes to trusting God in all of the moments of life, when it when it comes to following Christ in thought and word and deed, when it comes to Christian growth in faith, instantaneous spiritual maturity is only an illusion. It's an illusion. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, here in chapter 12, exhorts every one of us as Christians in the first three verses that we must run the race of this Christian life and we run it with endurance. Run it with endurance. Endurance is the exact opposite of instantaneous. Because endurance means long, arduous work. Endurance means to be continuous through the difficulty and through the struggle. Endurance means only stopping at the finish when it's over. And God will do nothing less for us as His children than to prepare us for that kind of endurance. There is no other kind of endurance. To stop in the midst of the race is not endurance at all. That's called quitting. That's called not finishing. And God will have none of it for His children. He desires for us endurance. And so I want us to focus our attention this morning on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. And so I, I want to read for us this text, but I, but I want to read verses three, 1 through 3 also with it, knowing that those verses connect us even back with chapter 11, which of course we all know to be that great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us in the faith. And the writer of Hebrews says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, then let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then our text that I want to focus our attention on here, beginning in verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in the striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I, I trust as I read that text that you notice the repeated word in it. It is used eight different times in just those few short verses, and it is one of the primary tools that God uses to ensure our endurance in our Christian life. We Christians need to endure. And by endurance, we mean that we need to continue trusting God in every moment of life. We continue through that and we will do that when, of course, as verse 3 or verse 2 says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we, we have this concrete resoluteness of following Jesus Christ in all things that we do, no matter what it is we are going through, then we will endure. In other words, those who look away from Christ as they walk this life day by day will not finish well. That implies that even Christians can be those who do not finish well in the Christian life. That doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. No Christian surely or true Christian could ever lose their salvation. We are secure in Jesus Christ. For anyone to ever lose a salvation would mean that God would have to reject His Son. And we know that that is not going to happen. We are secure in Christ. But we can finish poorly. This is exactly what was happening to some in the midst of the early church as the writer of Hebrews is writing. They had begun to take their eyes off Christ. They had begun to, to walk in such a way as in their own strength or under their own wisdom. They had begun to fix their minds on the circumstance that was challenging them. These people were no different than any of us sitting here in this room. If not all of us really at one time or another, we're all like them. When we first come to Christ by faith, we are excited about the things of Christ. There is an acute fixation in us as new believers on Jesus Christ. Our eyes can't be peeled away from Christ. We, we want to be with Christ. We want to see Christ. We want to know Christ. We can't stop talking about our faith in Jesus Christ. Anybody and everybody we go to, our friends and our family and those around us, we just want to tell them about Christ. It's a joy, in fact, to us to tell others about Christ. We can't wait, in fact, to be with God's people. 
We, we are chomping at the bit for the Lord's Day to arrive each and every week because we want to be with God's people. Nothing in life is more important to us than getting to know God more. Then, as time goes on, our Christian life begins to be assaulted by hardships, difficulties, challenges, struggles. Some of our previous friends no longer want to be friends with us. We talk to them about Jesus and we continue to talk to them about Jesus and our joy in the Lord and, and, and Jesus Christ whom we know now is our Savior and we want to talk to them about it and we've talked to them over and over again so much so now they don't want even to be around us anymore. Some of the people that the writer of Hebrews is writing to in the ancient church were no longer welcomed in the synagogue in which they once belonged. Relationships in the community, relationships in their places of work began to be strained. Maybe some of us here, even in our own Christian lives, have found it whereby we've lost jobs because we've embraced Jesus Christ or stood for the name of Christ in the workplace. Maybe you found it so since you came to know Christ over the years that seemingly financial struggles seem to come. It's harder to pay the bills that you have. Maybe family gatherings have become more awkward, more difficult. Maybe there's even domestic problems because Christ is talked about in the home. And so you realize, man, this newfound faith that I have, instead of guarding me from common troubles in life, instead of guarding me from difficulties in life, this new faith in Christ seems to bring trouble with greater and greater intensity into my life. Sickness seems worse. Financial strains seem more frequent. Relationship strains continue. The pain of life seems more acute than ever. The net result of all of it in my own mind oftentimes was that you become distracted from running the faith race. For many a Christian, as I have said, we have the idea that spiritual maturity in Christianity is instantaneous. We say things like this, well, it all began well, but I didn't expect this kind of difficulty to be happening to me. I had problems before I trusted Christ, but now it seems to be much worse. I mean, after all, I thought when I became a Christian, things would get better. Sometimes we wonder, where's God in all of it? Well, the passage before us here in Hebrews chapter 12 is here to encourage us out of that kind of thinking. It's here to arrest our minds away from that kind of thought. It's here to help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough as you look at this, the writer of Hebrews doesn't coddle us. That seems to be the mode of our day, right? Trouble comes, difficulty happens, we want God to coddle us, we open the Word of God, and, and, and so very often, God doesn't coddle us at all. God just gets right down to the business and He helps adjust our thinking. And here, He's adjusting our thinking about discipline. Discipline. Maybe you didn't see it when I read it, but that's the word that's used eight times in this text. Discipline. It's a very needed reminder. Because our problem oftentimes in growing weary and losing heart is that we take our eyes off Christ. And the reason that we take our eyes off Christ is because, not that we don't understand, it's not that we, we, we lack an understanding, no, it's because we don't embrace the reality as God's discipline for us. 
God's discipline for us. And I think oftentimes we see it that way because we see discipline one way and one way only. We see discipline as punitive. And discipline simply means to train or to educate. That's what it means. To train or to educate. To be disciplined is to be trained. To be disciplined is to be educated. And so as a Christian, we're not to think of God's discipline as punishment. We're not to think of God's discipline as some kind of punitive reality that God brings in our life for the sake of just mere punishment. It isn't necessarily punishment. It is training. It is education toward maturity in our walk of faith. And so to understand and embrace discipline is to think of it as an education. Discipline is an education, beloved, in endurance. It's an education in endurance. And so we need to understand discipline so that we will endure. And God helps us here in three different ways. He helps us understand discipline for the sake of endurance, and He does it in three different ways. Through the words of the writer of Hebrews, God reprimands us, God reassures us, and God re-energizes us for endurance. These are the three ways in which we see God helping us understand discipline for the sake of endurance here. He reprimands us, He reassures us, and He re-energizes us for endurance. Let's begin with this first one, with God's gentle reprimand for us. Notice what He says beginning in verse 4, in the first part of of verse 5. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and... You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. You can stop right there. Notice first that God, by His grace, gently reprimands us by reminding us that life is not as bad as we suppose it is to be. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Life is not as bad as we think it to be. Listen, the greatest battle we have in life is just that, striving against sin. Battling the inward desires of the flesh. And we need to understand that our problem with faltering in endurance in the Christian walk, in striving to walk by faith, isn't with the circumstances that we're going through. It isn't striving against the circumstances that we may find ourselves in that God has allowed. In other words, our problem in this life is not that life is hard. In fact, the hardness of life according to the Scriptures, is normal. The Apostle Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. You see, the difficulty in life, that's just normal, common life. That's life in a fallen world. Here's how Job said it. Man is born to trouble just like the sparks fly upward. You light a fire, the sparks begin to go. The fire rages, sparks always go up. Man is born to trouble in that same way. It's the common reality. So our problem is not the difficulty in life. Our problem is striving against sin. Sin. What sin? Well, for one, it's this. The sin of independence. The sin of this desire to be autonomous, to rule myself. The sin of not needing or not desiring God's way. 
The sin of saying, I'll do it my way. The sin of saying, I'll do this without you. I can do this on my own. The sin of following my own way. That's the sin of independence. Well, we may, we may certainly fight against sin in general. But we have to remember that even in our striving, even in our striving against sin in general, we... We've never been asked by God to shed our blood for our sin. We've never been said to God, listen, or God said to us, listen, in order to pay for your sin, you need to shed your blood. It's the only way for you to atone for that sin. No, we've never been asked to do that. Remember years ago when I was in seminary and the workload was always heavy, colleagues and I were in preaching lab with one of our professors. Tim Costine knows him well. He will laugh when I say this. This professor, we would always whine to him about how much we had to do. and He took no excuses when you didn't come with your work done. And he would say to us all the time when we whined him, he'd say, show me the blood. Show me the blood. He didn't say it with that quietness. He would say it much louder. Show me the blood! <laughs> what he would say to us. We knew what he was saying. Because he was saying, listen, listen, men, this is no time for you to be discouraged, especially in light of the great example of others who have gone before you in the faith. This is no time for you to sit whining. Stop your whining. I don't see any bleeding over it. Times we have to remind ourselves of that, don't we? Sometimes when life is happening, we look at life, and from our perspective, man, things are bad. My life is struggling. It's hard. It's difficult. What's God's doing? What God is allowing? Man, I don't know if I can take it. And then God allows us to see others who are much worse off than we are from our human perspective. And in seeing our brothers and sisters who are going through much worse than we've ever gone through, our perspective changes. That's the first part of God's gentle reprimand to us. You could be shedding blood over your sin, but you're not. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood, have you? The second part of this reprimand is this. Not only have you not shed your blood, but you've forgotten God's Word. You've forgotten God's Word. And, verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. In other words, the reason you're protesting, the reason you're giving backlash to the difficulty and you want out so quickly is because you've forgotten what God's Word says. What does it say? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. In other words, you've forgotten what you used to know and what you need to remember. This is an acute problem in the Christian church. One of the reasons why we lose heart so quickly and falter and grow weary in the race. I was thinking about this in my own life. Find it true. It's a battle. It's a struggle. Even in my own life, I take my eyes off the Lord. It's what we do. We do that because we've forgotten the exhortation of God's Word to us. My son, that's a term of endearment. He doesn't call anybody else that. Only his children, my son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. This is the discipline of the Lord. Forgetting the exhortation. What exhortation? Well, the exhortation is right here for us. It's given to us here, verse 5 and verse 6. He's quoting from the Proverbs. He's quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. You say, what does it say? It says this, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Don't reject the discipline of the Lord. Don't, don't loathe His reproof. The word discipline there is, is the chastening, the, the, 
the chastisement, the check, the correction, the, the instruction, what God is doing in our life in order to help us, the education that God is bringing about in our life by whatever the circumstances He is bringing about in order that we might learn endurance in the process. Have you forgotten that in your life? That's what He's saying. And we cannot miss it because this verse reminds us, beloved, of two truths here about every circumstance that God allows in our life. Every circumstance. One, don't ever treat what God is allowing for you with disdain. Don't ever treat it lightly with disdain. Don't regard it lightly. Disdain. Treating something as if it's unimportant. As if it's no value to you. As if we have a right at times to say to God, why me? The question we ought to be asking ourselves, beloved, is why not us? Why not me? If I'm a son of God and God is educating me in His love and grace, then why not me? In other words, we ask sometimes that question as if we know best about the education we ought to have, as if we would be better off without it. And yet here, the writer of Hebrews is hearkening back to the Old Testament Proverbs, the book of wisdom, to say to us, listen, we are to never treat a circumstance that God allows in our life as if it's unimportant for our spiritual education. If God has allowed it, then it is extremely important. It is part of His divine lesson plan for you. And the fact is that oftentimes when difficulties come, we, we don't see it that way. We don't see it as God's divine training for us. And so we begin to struggle against it. We begin to recoil with it. We begin to fight against it. We protest to others about it. Not because we desire strength in it, but because we just don't like it in our lives. We are protesting to others because we are protesting against what God is doing. And so in doing that, we are treating the education that we are getting from God, we are treating the education coming to us by our loving Father as if it has no significance for us. God, leave me alone. I am educated enough. We would rather not have it at all. The writer of Hebrews says in doing that, we have forgotten that God exhorts us to not blow it off. And so to treat God's education lightly, we're talking about each and every circumstance of life, is to remain immature in our faith. If we continue to go on treating God's discipline lightly, we will remain immature in our faith. Psalmist says, don't regard it lightly. And secondly, don't faint when you're reproved by Him. In other words, don't be overwhelmed by it. That means we... God doesn't give us something that will overwhelm us, right? 1 Corinthians 10 clearly says He's not going to give you something that's going to overtake you. It's not going to overtake you. Don't allow yourself then to blow it off as nothing and don't allow yourself to give up when you are being trained through God's education process. Don't faint when you're reproved by Him. You can continue to go. So don't relax. That's what the word faint means. Don't get relaxed in it. Don't just go, man, I can't do this anymore. Some blow it off as if it doesn't matter. And some are simply just paralyzed by it. And neither attitude is profitable. Neither produces endurance. So when God's discipline is operative in our life, we can't, we can't afford entertaining either one of those attitudes. Why? Number two, because God actually reassures our faith in it. 
So we're going to miss the second one if we don't get the first one. If we don't understand the, the, the reality of why God's letting this be, that it's education for us, then we're going to miss this reality that His education in our life through discipline is a reassurance to our faith. God's education through hardship is a telltale sign that we are His children. Notice verses 6 through 8. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. He scourges every son whom He receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Listen, we need to think differently as we think about hardship in life. Because again, here in verse 6, this is a quotation of Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Verse 6 is the quotation of verse 12. Verse 6 is telling us that if there is no hardship in life, if there's no difficulty in life, then there is no love from God. Let me say that again. If there's no difficulty in life, then there's no love from God because the the Lord loves those whom He disciplines. It's a telltale sign of God's love. If we disdain His providential hardship or become faint in the hardship, then we are in essence turning our spiritual back on the personal evidence of God's loving relationship with us. That is simply to say that God's discipline is divinely ordained and it is divinely ordained path for us and to us to deepen our relationship with Him. God brings discipline in our life because He desires us to have a deep relationship with Him. We might even say it this way. There is no spiritual maturity that comes instantaneously. No spiritual maturity that comes instantaneously. You're not going to have it. So to ignore or to sinfully bemoan or to sinfully refuse God's educational hardships is to simply ignore and bemoan and refuse our spiritual growth and His love. So the truth of verses 5 and 6 actually come with an implied command. When, When the writer of Hebrews quotes these verses here in the midst of this text, beginning in verse 5, There is an implied command really in verse 7 and then a a reassurance that is given to us in verse 8. Verse 7 says, it is for discipline that you endure. That literally is saying this, you endure hardship as God's education for you. It's, It's really a command. You endure hardship. In other words, don't give in, don't faint, don't reject, endure it. The way it's translated here in the English Bible is kind of misleading almost. And yet it's, it's an implied command. Why? Because God deals with you as with sons. You endure hardship because you're a son of Christ. You're a son of God. And that's the reassurance. In other words, in the eyes of our loving Father, in the eyes of God Himself, this process is not punitive. Listen, the process is relational. This is a relational process with God. If there's no discipline going on in your life, then you're an illegitimate child. What son is there, verse 7, whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which we all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see, there's a reassurance in those words. What son doesn't get disciplined by his father? The rhetorical answer to that is no son. No real son, because if you're being disciplined by God, that means you're his son. So hardship in the Christian life isn't in spite of sonship. It isn't 
in spite of the reality that you're a son of God, it's because of it. The implication is really far-reaching to that. Think about it, a child who runs amok, even in the physical realm, even in our world, in our life, a child who runs amok, a child who is uncontrollable, a child who is just allowed to go on being disobedient and get away with disobedient, simply reveals to all who are watching them that their parents actually don't care about them. Their parents don't actually love them. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because a father who loves his children disciplines them. So remember, when God allows hardship, we ought to thank Him. Why? Because it's a great reminder that we are His children. A great reminder that we are His you're not outside the family of God, that this isn't punitive on the nature of God. This isn't something about God saying, listen, you just, you're just such a bad child, I've got to take care of this. No, this is God's loving relationship with you so that you would have a closer relationship with Him so that you would learn endurance. And furthermore, furthermore, God's education, God's discipline of us is one of three ways. It's either corrective, sometimes it's preventative, and other times it's simply informative. This is God's discipline for us. Corrective, preventative, and informative. You say, how so? Well, it's corrective through consequences that might come for sin. Right? God says, don't do that. You do that you have some consequence for your sin. You do that with your own children. Son, don't touch that hot pan. If you touch that hot pan, you will get burned. The son touches the hot pan, guess what happens? They get burned. They cry, they whine about the pain of that burn. Guess what? God gave us pain so that we wouldn't do stupid things. This is what made leprosy such a heinous disease because leprosy removed the ability to feel pain. That's why your hands and your limbs disintegrated because you'd, you'd injure them and rub them to death and you wouldn't even feel it. So sometimes God corrects us that way. He educates us through corrective consequences that accompany sin. David's a great example of that, isn't he? In the Old Testament, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. There's death of the child. There's family trouble throughout his life. And through it all, David grows. David, David understands his life. He, he understands sin in his life. Here's how Psalm 119 said it this morning. We read it. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. See, God, I'm going astray, I'm sinning, and yet you afflict me out of your corrective love for me, education for me, you discipline me, and now what do I do? I keep your word. Do what it says. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The psalmist comes full circle. He says, listen, I don't, I don't see the discipline of the Lord as something to be pushed aside. No, I, it's good that God afflicts me because it helps me learn what the Word of God says. So God's Word is corrective, but God's education for us is also preventative. It's preventative. Remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 and following, the Apostle Paul said, listen, I asked God three times that He remove this thorn from me, this one that was plaguing me constantly in my life, constantly bringing trouble in my life. He called it the thorn in the flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. It prevented Paul from puffing himself up, from being prideful about his own giftedness, his own ways, what God was doing with Paul. Paul said, it's a grace in my life. It's an education into prevention. And so God's education for us is corrective, it's preventative. And third, sometimes God's hardships for us are simply informative. Just informative. Maybe sin's consequence that brings hardships. It may be hardships to keep us from potential sin. And it may be hardships to simply teach us something about God's character. 
That's the information we receive. You read through the entire book of Job. You read the first chapters and you see the heinous realities that God allows in Job's life. That in one day he loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. He loses all of his property and possessions. Even his wife wants him to curse God and die. And Job is perplexed and perplexed and perplexed throughout the whole thing. He has friends who come to try to counsel him. And with friends like that, who needs enemies sometimes? And in the end, Job simply doesn't have all the answers. He goes to God. He wants God to answer him. And God gives him the answer. Who are you to darken my counsel? Listen, answer me some questions and then I'll talk to you. And in the end, Job simply says, Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. Chapter 42, verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. God allowed all the hardships in Job's life simply to inform Job about who God was. Here's who I am, Job. Learn of me. Abraham, same way. So if we have a biblically informed understanding about life's difficulties, and then if we embrace them as such, we will grow spiritually and we will endure in faith. And so the writer of Hebrews simply is telling us God reprimands us. He's telling us, listen, you haven't striven against these things to the point of shedding blood. And you've forgotten some exhortations about what God says about discipline in your life. God has reassured you that the discipline in your life simply says that you are a son loved by Him. Don't ever forget that. He is a Father who loves you deeply. And He wants what's best for you. And then in verses 9-11, through 11, we get the third. God re-energizes us for endurance through it. Notice what He says, Furthermore, Verse 9, we have earthly fathers to discipline us and we've respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? But they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Listen, beloved, we are re-energized with the knowledge that God has a sanctifying purpose in hardship. Notice He desires first to have us share in His holiness. It says here in verse 10, for if they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, talking about our earthly fathers, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. I love the, the juxtaposition between the earthly and the celestial, between God as our Father and our earthly fathers. Each of us had fathers who were imperfect. They were fallen. They were sinful. They meted out discipline upon us that seemed best to them at the time. And we had human respect for them, even in that position as our Father, even though they carried out discipline imperfectly and sometimes even sinfully. So shall we not much more place ourselves willingly in the disciplining hand of God who always does it for good? Who never acts out in such a way for sinful ends? He always does it for good, which has an end result that we would share in His perfection, His holiness. Have you ever thought of your hardships like that? This hardship is taking place in my life because God wants me to share in His holiness. Well, here's what the writer of Hebrews is ultimately saying. He's saying that, listen, in Christ, you've been made partakers of the divine nature, right? That's 2 Peter chapter 
1 verse 4, we've been given everything for life and godliness. We partakers of the divine nature in Christ. And since that's the case, God brings, God directs, and God allows hardship so that we will partake in that divine nature even more experientially. God saved us in the holiness of Christ. We are holy before God in Christ, and yet God wants us to understand and know that holiness experientially. And so God, by His grace and because of His mercy, because He loves us, brings hardships in our life. Listen, if our Savior, if Christ learned obedience through the things He suffered, how much more ought we? The most sanctified people are those who have been properly trained to endure in faith through hardships. So from God's perspective, it should be from ours as well, hardship is a good gift from God. It's a good gift. Because He disciplines for our good. And then verse 11 summarizes the whole truth. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, just as spiritual maturity is not instantaneous. Training in spiritual maturity is not instantaneous. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, I don't want you to think that I believe hardship isn't tough. Don't get that idea in your mind as I say this, that listen, just because it's tough for you doesn't mean it isn't tough. No, it is tough. That's not what I'm saying. It is tough. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Not denying that reality. All discipline is painful. Working out is painful. Doing the effort to do anything is painful. Our human senses, our natural mind objects to pain. We want to get away from it. Emotional pain, uh, upheaval in any kind of way, change, whatever it is, we just want to get away from it as fast as we can. We don't like it. Why? Because that's because we look at the present. We don't look at the future. We don't look at what God's doing. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, yet those who have been trained by it, You know what the word trained is in the original language? It's where we get our word gymnasium. It's gunazo. Workout. Get into the gym. Practice. Train. Exercise. Those who have been exercised by it, sometimes we need to be put on the machine of training and God strap us down and exercise us. Right now, take a look back in your life since you were saved. Right now, in your mind's eye, how many years have you been saved? How many things have you gone to? How many afterwards have there been? Right? Afterwards, it yields. How many afterwards in your gymnasium have there been? How many days in the gymnasio have you been with God? God has strapped you to the machine. He is working you out. And afterwards... It's produced something in you. You came out more like Christ than before because He he worked you out. Here's how Job said it in the midst of a trial. When He has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The writer of Hebrews simply says it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But it only yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Because going through discipline means that in the discipline you must receive the training. You must say this is profitable. This is exactly what God would do that I might be more like Him. And when you 
receive it that way, it yields in you the fruit of righteousness. Beloved, this is what God wants for us. He wants to make us righteous in practice. We are righteous in position in Christ, right? We are in Christ. We're enveloped in Christ. But he wants to make us righteous in practice. The only way to make us righteous in practice is in the gym of hardship. In other words, if we won't treat it as unnecessary, if we won't treat the hardship as something that's unnecessary for me, I'm already strong enough, we cower under its convictions. And if we remember that each hardship proves that He loves us, He cares for us, He desires us to be like Him in holiness, and if we will simply take it for what it is and be shaped by it, knowing that God is making us like Christ in practice, then the fruit of righteousness comes out of us. Christian brothers and sisters this morning, just remember there is no instantaneous spiritual maturity. You are not going to go home today and pray to God, God, as your child, keep me away from hardships. Just Let me absorb your word. I'll put it under my pillow. I'll look at it every day. But I don't want hardships because I I, I just don't want that. I'd rather have that spiritual maturity just come to me. It doesn't happen that way, beloved. There is no educated person in the things of God that produces the fruit of righteousness in your life who doesn't have hardship. The more we are educated by God's discipline, the stronger we will be. And the stronger we are, the more we are going to appreciate what God has done. This is why the writer of Hebrews says we keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. From time to time I go to the gym and I run on the treadmill and those kinds of things. And there's always that bank of mirrors and anybody who's working out there looks in the mirror and they want to see their muscles grow. Listen, we're not told to look at ourselves in the mirror. We're told to fix our eyes on Christ. God's working you out. Fix your eyes on Christ. And keep running. Keep running. And it will produce in you the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time this morning. Your word is so sweet to us. The writer of Hebrews says earlier that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides down to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's nothing that can escape your scrutiny. Each of us here and this day are here under varying circumstances of life which you have orchestrated. Lord, and truth be known in our hearts, we, we fight against it. Oh, Lord, forgive us for that. Cause us not to say, oh, hey, in a fake kind of way, oh, we're just so happy. No, we know that all discipline seems to not be joyful in the moment. But it's what it produces. We know you're producing in us righteousness, holiness. We know you love us. Lord, help us to see these things in life that way. Whatever you challenge us with. Help us to be faithful to you in it all. So that others would see Christ in us. Bless us because of it. Lord, may you be praised in all that we do. Thank you. Thank you for loving us in this way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.